You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. An international police operation takes down Andromeda and possibly the criminal mastermind known as Ares. Mariah's back and so are warnings about Reaper. There's a PayPal phishing expedition in progress. A new variant of the familiar tech support scam features a bogus blue screen of death. Germany's interior minister considers backdooring the IoT. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is going after dodgy ICOs. And we're not going to talk about the internet of those kinds of things, so don't act so innocent. You know who you are. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, December 5th, 2017. An international police operation has taken down the Andromeda botnet. Police in Belarus working with the FBI, Europol's European Cybercrime Center, Joint Cybercrime Action Task Force, which is JCAT, and the Lundberg Central Criminal Investigation Inspectorate in Germany have dismantled the long-running Andromeda malware ring. Authorities worked closely with both Microsoft and security firm ESET in executing the takedown. Traded freely in the dark web souks, Andromeda, also known as Gamaru, Avalanche, and Volkos, disseminated malware through a widespread set of botnets. Andromeda has been active for about six years, and it was a troublesome criminal operation. As with most such takedowns, it's always possible that the botnets could resurface at some future time in a revenant form, but for now at least, they're out of commission. So good work, officers. There's been one fairly high-profile arrest in the case. The investigative committee of the Republic of Belarus said it's charged one man and taken him into preventative detention, where he's said to be cooperating with investigators. They don't give his name, but they do say he was a resident of Gomel. Recorded Futures researchers indicate that the gentleman is a very big fish in the cybercrime pond, a criminal mastermind whose nom de hack was Ares, spelled with the E represented by a numeral 3. Ares developed the Andromeda bot software in 2011, but he's thought to have been a serious player in the underworld since about 2004. He was fingered in an FBI sting. Undercover operators bought crimeware from him, made the identification, and then dimed him out to their Belarusian colleagues. An interesting side note on Andromeda, the malware was designed to determine during reconnaissance whether a prospective target machine's keyboard linguistic settings were for Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, or Kazakhstan. If they were, then the malware wouldn't install. 
This is suggestive in the light of recent FBI warnings that cybercriminals are increasingly operating with the connivance of host governments. It's not dispositive, of course, but it is suggestive. The Mirai botnet has resurfaced. Attacks were reported over the weekend in North Africa and South America, with Argentina particularly affected. Reaper, the evolved botnet based on Mirai code, has yet to live up to its much-feared potential, but researchers at CenturyLink and reports at Cybrary warn that Reaper is a loaded and cocked weapon, ready to fire at large swaths of the Internet. One hopes, of course, that Reaper will continue to overpromise and underdeliver for its botmasters, but prudence dictates keeping an eye on it. It's an ongoing game of cat and mouse between attackers and defenders. As tools and techniques develop to defend against a particular type of attack, attackers move on and find another way in. Lately, we've been seeing more incidents of attacks on the software supply chain. Adam Myers is VP of Intelligence at CrowdStrike, and he explains. They started looking for software packages that companies and enterprises that the attackers were interested in were reliant on. And there's a whole kind of slew that we've, we've published in a blog post recently where the attacker uh, identified a, uh, either an open source or a closed so- source software package and they backdoored that package and used that to then deploy their remote access toolkit or whatever tool they, they would like to deploy against the, uh, the targeted victim. Really notable case of this recently uh, that everybody kind of tracked was NotPetya. Uh, we saw NotPetya being a, deployed via a software update mechanism in a particular Ukrainian uh, software product. And so I think for most people, when they think about supply chains, you know, in the physical world, they think, well, how would someone, you know, sneak in something into my manufacturing process? But on the software side, it's a bit different. Right, exactly. So um, as you say, you know, you think about a, a complex supply chain attack, it's somebody uh, putting a backdoor in, in a piece of hardware that you're going to you know, install on a sensitive network or something like that. Um, in the case of these more recent attacks, they're finding software packages that people are reliant on uh, for lots of different things. There was a, a, a pretty uh, well-known uh, case that was uh, dubbed the shadow pad by uh, security researchers, and that was focused on a software package by NetSarang. And it was uh, a, a whole host of different enterprise tools that various enterprises would be uh, be using. Uh, we, we've seen this targeting Windows. We've seen this targeting Mac as well. Um, there was uh, two incidents where uh, ProtonRat was deployed via a supply chain attack against various um, multimedia-related tools. So help me understand, and, and forgive me for the simplicity of this question, but um, you know, in a world where we have things like checksums, how can someone monkey with some software without it being noticed? That is a great question. Uh, what they're actually doing is they're getting into the software build process at the vendor. They're not just backdooring the already uh, built tool. They're, they're backdooring inside of the build process, which is something that if these vendors are not uh, very focused on trying to detect, they're not going to be able to identify that there's a backdoor in the product that they then compile and then distribute. I see. All right. So it gets in before the checksumming would even take place. That's right. So uh, what's to be done here? How can people protect themselves against these things? Well, I think, you know, the first uh, the, the first step is identifying that you have a problem. You know, I think raising these issues and, and getting some of the um, IT security personnel and the uh, compliance people and the CISO and the, the CIO to understand the, the risk and the threat from some of these software packages is step one. 
Step two is identifying what software packages you're dependent on as an organization. Um, lots of companies that we talk to, uh, if we ask them, you know, what, what software do you have running? What versions are running? They don't really have a good answer for that. You know, in many cases, not even tell you how many systems are on their enterprise. So having that kind of visibility into what systems and software you're using across the enterprise are critical as well. Um, and then from there, you know, that's where you have to start doing some risk-based decisions around those software packages and understanding um, what kind of testing goes into it, understanding that vendor's development process and, and do they adhere to various standards or are they just kind of building software and shipping it whenever they, uh, they get the chance. And then, uh, you know, really identifying critical assets on the enterprise and ensuring that they've been walled off so that, you know, if, it's a, if it is a critical uh, system that's running some software package that you have maybe no understanding of or a low degree of trust in, then making sure that it doesn't need to talk to other systems or even necessarily to the internet in many cases. So that's kind of where you have to really start looking at each product and, and coming up with a, a risk analysis around each individual product. That's Adam Myers from CrowdStrike. PayPal users are receiving phishing emails warning them that their payments aren't going through. Those who swallow the bait will be directed to a page that asks them to enter their PayPal credentials and user information. A variant of the familiar Microsoft tech support scam displays a phony blue screen of death and then offers to sell you a cut-rate security product that won't solve your problem because you really don't have a problem in the first place. Google is working to clamp down on applications and websites that ask for too much information, at the end of January, Mountain View will warn proprietors of apps and sites that violate Google's privacy-related terms of service. How violators will be punished beyond this good talking to remains unclear. A volley in the crypto wars comes from Berlin, where Germany's interior minister, Thomas de Maizière, wants essentially all IoT devices backdoored so government investigators could access them at need. He's also mulling, asking that kill switches be installed in certain devices to yank them from the Internet, also at need. While one can imagine investigatory and incident response use cases for both proposals, it's difficult to see them attracting much favor from the backdoor skeptic tech sector. Cryptocurrencies have for some time now been regarded as the Wild West, and called that by headline writers who like to write stuff they've read before. We're not hating when we say this, brothers and sisters. Hey, we've been there before. Well, partner, there's now some law west of the Pecos. It's not wearing a badge, not exactly, because the feds, like the federales, don't need no stinking badges. And it's also not wearing a hog leg, neither, because this law doesn't need to carry a six-shooter. We're not talking about Tom Destry Jr., either. This law is the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC is cracking down on fraudulent initial coin offerings, or ICOs, it's been moving cautiously in this direction since early summer, and yesterday it opened a complaint in a New York federal court against one Dominic LaCroix. The SEC calls Mr. LaCroix recidivist securities law violator, and they think his offering, PlexCoin, to be just a scam, a fast-moving initial coin offering fraud that raised up to $15 million from thousands of investors since August by falsely promising 13-fold profit in less than a month. PlexCoin says it will do lots of things for you if you invest, including giving you a place where you can invest for, quote, guaranteed returns, end quote. And in fairness, who's to say they're not right? Our financial desk points out that you could guarantee zero return or even a negative return. 
right? Most ICOs don't share this appearance of alleged fraudulence, but all investors should take heed, and if they're the desperado kind, just keep moving west until you run out of frontier. We've heard California's pretty wide open. And finally, some of you have written in to ask why we haven't been talking about a vulnerable app that interfaces an Android phone with a Bluetooth-connected small electromechanical device. After all, it's said to be potentially leaky across the network, and leaky in an unusually personal way. And the warning came from NIST itself, the National Vulnerability Database. We aren't talking about this because we're a family show and don't have much to say about the IoTKOT, the Internet of Those Kinds of Things. And CERT, NIST, MITRE, we're surprised at you, especially that whole awaiting analysis part. Yeah, you're not blinding anyone with science just by writing CVE 2017-14487. Look it up. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, we wanted to talk today about cyber ranges. Why don't you start at the beginning here? Tell us, what are we talking about? Well, a cyber range is a platform that is designed to essentially contain threats in a simulated environment. The trouble that a lot of uh, security operations centers and incident response teams are running up against is that they don't have a means to practice their craft. They only have to essentially respond to threats in real time in order to know if they have what it takes in order to defeat the adversary or to remediate or respond or, or what have you. And what a cyber range does is it's, it's typically a virtualized system that mimics the existing environment that you have today 
in a contained and enclosed area with all the same tools that you use with Active Directory, with with Exchange. And by utilizing the cyber range, your team or your incident response team, your security operations team can essentially drill their skills and test out their processes and procedures on these cyber ranges. So is this kind of, to use a sports analogy, is this kind of a, you know, you practice like you play scenario? Exactly. And imagine if <laughs> imagine if you, you needed to practice like you play and you don't have a batting cage or you don't have the ability to scrimmage. So mm-hmm. that's really what the, uh, the design of the cyber range has. Now, is this an expensive thing to spin up? Like many technologies and platforms in the industry today, there's the the bare bones systems that are relatively easy uh, to kind of cook on your own and get them up and running. And the prices can go up higher uh, depending on the complexity, depending on the campaigns or the types of threats that you want to simulate, as well as how realistic do you want your cyber range or reflective of the enterprise uh, you want it to be. So if someone's looking to explore this, what's the best way for someone to get started? Well, the best way to get started is to have uh, your incident response teams and your security operations centers doing what they do best, having their processes and procedures and their technology uh, down to a science and then getting started by um, interfacing with numerous vendors out there that have cyber range products for sale. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.